Well, it's good to see everyone, whether you're here in person um, or joining us online. I actually can't see y'all because you're in the dark, um, but they'll be getting the lights on so y'all can see the scripture. Um, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 as we continue our Unhindered um, series. I do want to say this. I know um, after service or after the sermon, typically is when we um, share all of the kind of upcoming events and things like that. But I do want to make notes so you can be in your mind kind of preparing or thinking. Um, we do have experience new passion right after service. And so if you did not register, we always um, plan for some uh, extra people who may decide to stay after service. And so we'll have some extra food. And so we would love for you to join us for that. There's no obligation. It's an opportunity for you to learn more about us, us to get to know you. Um, several of our leaders will be there. And so um, following, we'll have childcare um, and we've ordered pizza for lunch. And so um, you can join us through this store first door on the left, probably about 10, 15 minutes after service so everybody can get their children and things like that. So we would love for you to join us today for Exploring New Passion. Once again, there's no obligation for anything. It's more of an information gathering. Um, if you're ready to join up with us, you can, but we never, we're, we're not a high pressure sales type deal. We actually encourage you Go home, pray. Um, if you're if you're not if you've not been here for a while and you're not confident, so we just want to get that in, information in front of you so that you can make um, a decision that's right for you and your family. So if you uh, would like like to join us, please do so um, after service. I'm in the CSB, so if you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can follow along um, with us. Philippians chapter two today. Last week we closed out chapter 1, briefly looking at the last two verses um, as we were closing out the message. And in that, um, those verses, Paul was telling the church at um, Philippi that it had been granted to them um, on behalf of Christ to not only believe in Jesus, but to also um, suffer with him. So essentially, it was like he was saying, it's a, it's a privilege for you not only to be able to believe in Jesus, but to also suffer with him. And he said, as I have suffered and as I am suffering. We know Paul is writing this letter um, to the church at uh, Philippi um, in prison himself. And so um, this was no cakewalk. This was not the American, uh, you know, Western modern day prison that we're talking about. Um, this was a very difficult prison that he would have been in. He would have been suffering. It would have been difficult on him. And so he is writing this. And this is what he says to open today's message as we get into chapter two. He says, you know, it, it's a privilege. It, it's been granted to you. And then he says, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose. You can write this down. Christians should be unified in love, thought, and purpose. Christians should be unified in love, thought, and purpose. In a season of suffering, Paul said, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation, that word means comfort. So if there's any comfort of love, any fellowship with the Spirit, and if there's any affection or mercy to be had among the body of believers, among the church, among the family of God, he's saying if there's any of this that would exist, he says it would complete his joy. So he's saying, I'm, I'm suffering in prison, I'm in chains, I'm writing this letter to you, and the thing that will bring joy to my life, 
The thing that will complete my joy is if you, the church, if you, the followers of Jesus, would do these four things, have the same mind. So, so he says, I want you to think the same way. I want you to be of one mind. The second is to have the same love. He, he wants us to, to, to be unified, to be similar in the way that we love one another, that we love other people. The third is to be united in spirit, to, to be of one spirit. And then the fourth thing he says is essentially to be intent, or that word intent means to strive for one purpose, one goal, one reason. And so Paul uses statements like the same, united, and one in what would bring his joy to be complete within him, even in this season of suffering. And so it brings me to the, the, the question for us, the church today, and that would be this, what's your reason for being involved with the church? What's your purpose behind being a part of the body of Christ? Because we're going to see some words here that talk about kind of the, the, the behavior that we have when we're joined together in this um, gathering of followers of Jesus. The church um, is the corporate gathering. You are the church. But we also refer to the church as when we come together within this building. The building is not the church. It is the church building. But you are the church. And so what is your purpose? What is your reason to belong to this body? Um, there could be as many answers as there are people here. The problem is, though, while it's good to have a reason or a purpose to belong to the church and the gathering of believers, um, your individual purpose or your individual reason actually could do more harm than good. Your individual purpose or your individual reasoning for being a part of the church actually could do more harm to the gathering then it does good. See, because it's when people have their own reasoning and it gets kind of disrupted or it gets uh, not fulfilled, then people get upset, they get angry, they leave the church, they leave the, the place that they've built relationships with, that they've belonged to for many years. Anytime that that's threatened or disrupted because it's, it's kind of, this is my reason, this is my purpose. And so therefore, if I don't have that reason or that purpose anymore, then I have no reason to be here. I have no reason to belong. I have no reason to stay connected within the body of Christ. And so in those cases, what we see in our modern day church, and I can't speak to what was happening in the church at Philippi, because I don't fully know when he talks about some of these things, what was happening and why he would give the instructions he's about to give later on in this chapter. But so I don't know, but I know in today's time, what we see, I know what we've seen a lot of since 2020, not just at New Passion, but also talking to pastor friends where it's like the same. You know what that means? Like, like you share something and they go the same. We, we've, we've seen the same thing. It, it's like, mind-blowing. It's crazy. And then you, you see that it's happening almost globally, and you go, okay, something's at work here. And so I believe this is very timely, because in these cases, whenever our purpose and our reason is disrupted, and it causes us to get upset, it causes us to get angry, it causes us to disconnect from the body of Christ, it really is revealing that it wasn't about corporate worship with our brothers and sisters, but it was more about maybe having a title. It wasn't about reaching the lost, but it was about fulfilling a certain role on a team. 
It wasn't about serving the needs of the community. It was about building a personal business. And you might go, what, really? I've known of people who choose to go to a larger church because it's a larger network for their sales pyramid, for their personal business, for their personal achievement. It wasn't about the relationships that they had built for years. It was about having things their way. It wasn't about a spiritual growth personally or helping make disciples within the body of Christ and in the community, discipleship. It was about being appeased in a personal uh, lifestyle, in personal um, sinful lifestyle without correction. Uh, Finding a place that I can continue living life the way that I want to live it, no matter what scripture says, because I'm going to pick and choose, but I want to be amongst a place that appeases that, doesn't call that out and doesn't correct that. But when that's taken away, when that's my purpose and my reason for belonging to this body, because someone might call me out on that or challenge me on that, then I need to disconnect and I need to move on. Now, there could be many other reasons. I'm just speaking from personal experience and personal experience with other friends and and other pastors of what we've seen in recent days and years. And then some people don't just leave the church. They tear it down, they try to destroy it, and they try to take as many people with them as possible. See, American Christians treat the church just like we've been taught to treat the business, That's why maybe if you've been in church for any amount of time, we talk about, maybe you've heard other pastors say, that we don't want to have a consumeristic mentality, that we're here to consume. Because for some of us, that is our mentality, and that could be our reason and our purpose. What can I benefit, and how can I get the the most out of the church for myself? And so it's a consumer mentality, but we've been taught in business and retail with restaurants that your way, right away. What you want is what you get. You deserve blank. And so our mentality is this consumer self-centered, self-focused ideology and focus. And we bring that into the church and we make the church about our reasoning and our purpose. And when that's disrupted, when that's threatened, then we have to disconnect. We get upset. We get angry. And so some people see the church as a means to accomplish their own agenda, their own platform, rather than a gathering, which is what we are, to fulfill God's purposes, to fulfill his plan, to fulfill what he calls us to. And so Paul didn't tell Christians to strive for their own purpose or agenda. He said to unite around one purpose, one love, and one mind, one way of thinking, one mindset. See, because we all tend to fight for um, everyone else to uh, fall in line with my way of thinking, with my ideology when it comes to love, when it comes to my thoughts about certain things. I want you to, be, to think like I do. We're human. You want me to think like you do. I mean, I can prove it. Look at the political scene. We, we divide. Why? Because we will argue online. We'll argue amongst coworkers. Why? Because I want you to think politically like I think. I want you to think culturally like I think. It's part of the human condition. I'm going to fight for my ideology. I'm going to fight for my right to be right. 
I'm going to fight for you to see things my way. And I, I just wonder how many people, when you get on, in online arguments, have you actually persuaded? Probably very little. But yet we do it. And it's no different when it comes to faith. It, it come, it's no different when it comes to um, uh, following Jesus and our, our, our doctrine and all of these things. We'll fight and we'll argue just as um, vehemently as we do for politics. I've seen it even in this church where people pull people aside and they want to make sure when it comes to this that you see things my way and get very passionate and very uh, dogmatic about it. And so that's what we do. And so, as I said, church leaders have seen this in modern day um, happening, but obviously it's a part of the, 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 the human condition because Paul is writing this to the church at Philippi in the first century. He's, he's encouraging them. He's um, challenging them. He's instructing them and warning them to be of one mind. He says, if there's anything that would make my joy complete as I am suffering, it's to know that the church is unified around one love, the same love, around one mind, the same thinking, and one purpose, not fighting for our own purpose, not fighting for our own way of thinking, but to be unified around one. And so he makes this clear. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4 goes on, and he says, do nothing. Uh, if you got your Bible, circle that, underline it in your notes. We give you an outline. He says, do nothing. Not some things. Not, not the things that you choose and the things that you deem appropriate. But do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. That's very difficult because we're sinful beings. We, we, we oftentimes want to fight for our comfort. We want to fight for our rights. We want to fight for our way of thinking. And this is why he's encouraging them, even in the first century, to do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Why? Because we tend to drift in that direction. We tend to go in that way. And so then he says, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. You write this down. Christians should seek humility, not self-advancement. Christians should seek humility, not self-advancement. Our ambitions, according to Paul, in God's word, shouldn't be focused on ourselves. In fact, that word ambition, and this is what I'm saying, like, I don't know what was happening in the church at Philippi to the, to the, to the full extent. I know what happens in our modern day church. I know even in those days, because Jesus talked about um, the Pharisees desiring the, the seats of honor and the, the robes with the long tassels. Like, obviously, there, there was a, there was a, a, a human condition happening even then where people wanted the seats of honor. They wanted power. They wanted recognition. And so in this day, he uses this word ambition, and that word ambition means electioneering or intriguing for office. So it's not office necessarily electioneering like political office. It's maybe an office in the church. 
Maybe it's a, a position among the family of God or a, a hierarchy or whatever that might be. And so he's using this word ambition, which means electioneering, like going out and trying to basically make yourself first, to um, election others, to um, give you your way in this way. The other meaning of this word is courting. You're courting something. You're pursuing it. It's a desire to put oneself forward a partisan, a fractious spirit. That word fractious means irritable or contentious. And so the ambition Paul is referring to is electioneering. It's campaigning for, pursuing, maybe in our day, titles or certain roles and power. It's seeking recognition and applause from others. It elevates self above all. And then it gets irritable and it gets contentious when not given the things that we desire, that we're seeking when we don't get the applause, when we don't get the title, when we don't get to fulfill the role, when we don't get whatever, whatever that looks like, whatever we're pursuing, whatever our heart's desire is, where we're placing ourselves above others, when we're placing ourselves above the church, when we're placing ourselves above those who need the, to hear the gospel, when we are electioning or campaigning for our own advancement, then we get fractitious, which is irritable and contentious, when not given those things. It's a what about me mentality. It's a what about me ideology. It's a what about me attitude. And so when he says to have the same kind of thinking, the same thought process, that's not what he's talking about. Have you ever been in a place where everybody's fighting for their own way? Like talk about politics, you name it. Where do you, how do you move forward? Where is there unity if we're all fighting for what we think is right, for what we want in life? Like if I'm fighting to get number one and you're fighting to get to number one, who's going to get to number one? There's no unity in that. There's no peace in that. There's no love in that. So we can't go, hey, we're going to be of the same mind, but yet also have the same love if we're all pursuing and electioneering and campaigning to be number one. So Paul is telling us as Christians, this is a transferable truth, and he's also telling the church at Philippi, because the human condition is the human condition in the first century, he's telling all of us as followers of Jesus to do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Conceit is essentially, um, you know, thinking highly of yourself. And so he's like, I want you to do nothing out of self-pursuit, self-motivation of being great yourself, elevating yourself. Psalm 75, 6 through 7, the psalmist tells us, exaltation does not come from the east or the west or the desert. For God is the judge. He brings down one and exalts another. So the psalmist says, it's the Lord who gives promotion. It's the Lord who exalts. Like, we don't have to worry about pursuing that ourselves. If the Lord deems that you need exaltation and elevation, then he'll do that for you. In Daniel chapter 4, one of my favorite um, passages of Scripture, um, learned it many years ago in leadership, and the pastor was saying, that in this scripture with Nebuchadnezzar, who would refuse to give glory to God, it says God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men, and he gives them to whomever he chooses, even the lowliest of men. God is the one who places people in positions of authority, in, uh, in elevated roles, or whatever that might be. So you can fight, and you can claw, and you can divide, and you can split, and you can pursue those things yourself, and yet it's God 
who gives that authority. It's God who puts you in those positions. And so if you're pursuing it and if you're fighting for it, we can't be of one mind. We can't be of one love. And we're definitely not of one purpose. And so instead of seeking our own advancement and recognition, Paul says to choose humility, to focus on other people, to consider them as more important than ourselves to the place that we give them preference. In fact, I think it's the KJV that says, in honor, prefer one another. So I'm going to honor you by preferring you. Could you imagine what would happen to this world? If we as the church, not New Passion Church, but the global church, those who follow Jesus would take this serious and say, you know what? I'm going to in honor prefer my brother or my sister. I'm going to lower myself in humility and I'm going to consider you to be more important than myself. I'm going to elevate you and not myself. Like I'm not going to worry about my own elevation and my own promotion. I'm going to choose humility. I'm going to choose to lower myself. Could you imagine what would happen in the world? Could you imagine what would happen on social media? It might have to shut down because there's not as many activity. (laughs) But this is what we're called to do. It's not easy because we have flesh. We we, we still struggle with sin. We we still want to, to have what's right, to have what's ours. So our mentality shouldn't be, give me this position. I've earned the right to whatever. I deserve blank. Do what I want or these will be the consequences or the results. Instead, we should be asking questions like, how can I serve my church and how can I serve my faith family? How can I give of myself to to this family that God's made me a part of? Some of you are military. You won't always be at New Passion. That's that's fine. You're a government-paid missionary but God's going to send you to another church. And when you get to that church, you need to ask that same question. Okay, God's placed me here. How can I serve my faith family where God's placed me? How can I serve the family of God wherever he has brought me? Uh, my mom, uh, th- her home, this is her hometown, Augusta, and the Lord saw it fit to move her um, at, at some point um, when I was a teenager, first to, uh, well, it was to Kentucky, and that was very difficult for her, but it was a little easier because um, my, my grandma had passed away, and, and, and that was one of the things that really held her here was that close relationship with my grandma. And so because she had passed on, I guess it made it a little easier, but it still made it difficult because now the kids are gonna, her kids are going to be separated in different places. And I remember going to the Christian bookstore and finding one of those little kind of bookmark things, and it said this, bloom where you're planted. And you, maybe you've seen that saying, bloom where you're planted. That needs to be our mentality as followers of Jesus. Wherever God places us, that's where we need to bloom. That's where we need to plant our roots and say, here I am to serve my brothers and my sisters, to benefit someone else, not just myself. Because that's what we're called to do. So instead of the mentality of how can I elevate myself and promote myself and make myself great, we need to choose humility and go, how can I serve my faith family? How can I benefit my community? How can I benefit someone else with my life? As a, one pastor recently said, what we know from the Bible is this, very clear. Selfishness is sin, and servanthood is a virtue. Yet, all too often, we choose what we would not deem as selfishness, 
but it's that subtle pursuit of self and that subtle pursuit of greatness for, for ourselves, and it leads us to sin. And yet the scripture calls us to serve. In fact, in Mark 9, as Jesus and the disciples, and I, I love looking this up to, to make, you know, to review the story because it's talking about Jesus going to Capernaum and I was just there. And so now I know what Capernaum looks like. It's pretty cool. And so they're traveling. They go, they go to Capernaum. I wonder if they walk through the same gates I walk through. Probably not because they're very modern. And it says that they get to the house and I wonder maybe that's Peter's mother-in-law's house that I got to see and, and look down into. And so as they are on their way to Capernaum, the disciples decide to argue among themselves, who's the greatest? Now, this is pretty interesting because then Jesus asked them once they get to the house what they were talking about. Now, could you imagine being a follower of Jesus, having to answer to the Son of God that you were just arguing who's the greatest? The one that heals, the one that does all the miracles, you know, the actual greatest. And then he says, what are y'all talking about? You've probably had some of those conversations with your children where they're talking about something and you're like, oh, you just don't know. You, give, give yourself about 20 more years and you'll have a different experience and a different perspective. And so they have to tell Jesus this. And Jesus' response is this in Mark 9, 35. Sitting down, he called the 12 and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. Not ruler of all. Not the boss of all, not the leader of all, not the greatest of all. No, he says, if you want to be first in my kingdom, my idea of, uh, of things are um, different than yours, you have to choose to be a servant. You have to choose to ask the questions about how can I serve my family? How can I serve my brothers that I'm serving with? That, that we're following Jesus we're disciples of Jesus. He's going to use us to start the church and to take the gospel all around the world. Like, how can I serve them? How can I benefit them? That should have been their question, but instead, it was th they were focused on themselves. And so Jesus redirects them, and he redirects us in this teaching from self-importance to serving others, from, from elevating ourselves to elevating others. Take the lowly position of a servant, then trust God to promote you. But don't make that your pursuit. Don't be like, all right, I'm, this, there's a magic formula here. See, that's religiosity. That's like, that's, you know, treating God and his ways like a genie. All right, if I figure this formula out, I'll finally get to be the, the, the number one guy. I'll finally be the greatest lady among them all. I finally be where I want to be. No, take the lowly position, choose humility. And if God so wills, then he will promote you. Trust him to give you greater opportunities and to increase your influence after you choose to serve. Just trust him with it. Just say, um, whatever you call me to do. And I can say this with integrity because I'm not saying this with a pat on my back. Because um, I, when, I, when I left a former church where I was a full-time um, staff member and God had moved us from there, it was just time to, to leave. And I went to uh, a church plant, which is God used for three years before we planted New Passion. When I got there, the pastor seeing the, the, the things that I had done and all, I mean, one of his first things were, and, and this pastor is still a great friend of mine today. He said, you know, I don't have a position for you. 
So I'm not here for a position. If you want me to clean the toilets, I'll clean the toilets. If you want me to pick up the trash, I'll pick up the trash. I'm here because this is where I feel the Lord has me and my family. I'm not here for a position. And so that's what I did. I started out by on Sunday morning, we were in a, a school. And so when there was trash lying around, when there was stuff that needed to be picked up, why? Because guests are coming in, people are coming into this environment. I just made it my, my responsibility to pick it up, to clean it up, to, to make the environment good for those who would be coming in. I didn't do it for a position because I wasn't there for a position. We were there because that's just where we felt God needed us and wanted us to be. And it was through that that he gave other opportunities, more opportunities than I could have even dreamed or imagined or even pursued myself, not even knowing that through that experience and those opportunities that he taught me about church planting. So one day in 2009, I would plant New Passion Church and I'll have a greater understanding of starting a church than I ever would have had I tried to do it on my own. But where did it start? It started by simply saying, if you need me to clean toilets, I'll clean toilets. If you need me to pick up trash, I'll pick up trash. Not because I want a position and not because I need a position, just because that's what we're called to do, to serve. And God chose simply to do something greater with me. Not because I deserve it, not because I'm worthy of it, but simply because he is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and he gives them to whomever he chooses. Exaltation comes from God, not from anywhere else. And so this is what he calls, thank you. Y'all can join in. I love that. I love that. I've told y'all before, feedback is great. Not for my sake, but it's helpful. Thank you, my brother. The church isn't about me and it's not about you. It's about Jesus. Now, we get to benefit by being a part of it. We, we, get, we benefit from being a part of this family, but it's not about me. I'm not the center of New Passion Church. You're not the center of New Passion Church or any other church. And so it's not our purpose. It's not our agenda. It's not our idea of love. It's not our thinking. It's Christ thinking. It's His purpose. It's His plan. See, these instructions, though, aren't just for those who I just spent a majority of my time talking about, who might use the church as their own platform to elevate themselves, but it's also intended for those who are totally disengaged and not serving the church or the community at all. See, because even in that, there's a self-importance that sounds like things like, I'm too busy. Why? I've, I've prioritized my life around everything else except for the church, which I've been saved into. Christ gave his life so that I could be a part of this group of people, and I'm too busy for you. He wasn't too busy for me. He wasn't too busy for you. But I've so prioritized my life outside of this gathering that I can't give my life to you because I'm giving it to something else. And so, we know that's not the mind or the heart of Christ. I don't know anyone. And so if I don't know anyone, then I feel uncomfortable. And so once again, I elevate myself and my comfort and I don't engage and I don't get involved. Why? Because it's about me and my comfort. Or it could be something like, I don't want to miss a church service. 
like many of our children's workers have to do. Sometimes some of our leaders are up there multiple times a month more than I want them to. Sometimes it's two times a month that they rotate. But the mentality is you can be here, but they can miss. You can benefit from the full experience of the church, but they can miss. They can miss for my children, but I won't miss for your children. They, they can miss for the, the children's environments, but I'm going to be in here and I'm going to experience the greatness of everything that there is on a Sunday morning. See, once again, we elevate self, we elevate our desires, we elevate what we want, rather than taking an approach of humility, how can I serve my brothers and my sisters? How can I serve their children? How can I serve their students? How can I serve the young adults in this body? How can I serve our community and the people who don't know Jesus? How can I give of my life, the life that's only been given to me because of Jesus? <laughs> this isn't my life. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ now lives within me through the Holy Spirit. This life does not belong to us. It belongs to Him. So how dare we take something that doesn't belong to us? That's theft. To say, I'm now going to take the life that belongs to Christ, and I'm going to use it in my way. I'm going to decide what Christ's life should do and should be about. It's my purpose, and it's my agenda. And so, Philippians 2, 5 through 12 he goes on and he says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross." For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, being of one love, one mind, one spirit, and one person isn't defined by any one of us any individual, Paul included. Rather, it's modeled by Jesus and it's rooted in the gospel. Paul told us to adopt Jesus's same attitude. On the very tail end of this, as he's talking about being of one mind, one spirit, one thought, um, all of these things being unified, he tells us how we do that. We do it by not adopting our mentality and our ideology. In fact, you'll see later in this chat, in, in this this letter in chapter four, how he tells us to think differently, to think on things that are excellent and worthy of praise, not to think on what's untrue, but to think on that which is excellent. And so here he's telling us not to think the way we would think, but instead to adopt Jesus's attitude. And so before taking on flesh, Jesus was known as the son of God in heaven. He got his name Jesus as he was born of a virgin. He was still the son of God. He was in heaven. He's a one part of the Trinity because we believe that God is three distinct people, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three are co-equal in their deity. 
And so this is why Jesus didn't consider his equality, when the Bible says that word equality, with God as something to be exploited. He didn't exploit that. He didn't cling to that, essentially saying, I'm the son of God. I don't have to do that. I'm the son of God. How dare you even suggest that I go down, put on flesh, live like mankind, to die for them, to, 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 to essentially live and to be born into um, poverty, to be born into a, a situation where my mother would be looked at as a, um, a, a, a woman having a child out of wedlock and all of the, the scrutiny and all of the, 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 the persecution and the crucifixion. I am equal. I am an equal part of the Trinity. I'm an equal part of God. And you want me to do that? See, he didn't exploit that. He didn't cling to that. He could have used his divinity as an excuse not to take on flesh, but he didn't look out for his own interest or comfort. He considered us. He gave preference to us as sinners. He he lowered himself for us. He chose humility for us. This is what Paul means when he says Jesus emptied himself. He didn't become less God or take off his divinity. Instead, he emptied himself of any claim or demand to remain in his position in heaven because he was co-equal with the Father and the Spirit. Jesus let go of the right to demand a better option because of his position. He emptied himself and became a servant. He took on flesh. He became human being both God and man. And this is what he tells us in Matthew chapter 20, verses 27 and 28. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That was his purpose. So if we're going to be of one mind and one purpose and one love, Paul tells us to adopt the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Jesus' attitude was, even as the Son of God, I'm not going to exploit that and cling to that. I'm not going to come and demand that you serve me, although he could have. He said, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to come among those who need me, the sick, the broken, and I'm going to serve them. I'm going to give my life as a ransom for them. That was his attitude. And so if we're going to adopt any attitude and we're going to adopt any love and we're going to adopt any purpose, it has to be Christ's purpose. It has to be Jesus's mentality. It has to be his purpose because else or else we'll be fighting for our own purpose and our own way of thinking. There's only one worthy to be followed. There's only one way that's worthy to be adopted and it is the way of Christ. And so we lower ourselves. Jesus set the example for us to follow. He didn't come to be served. He didn't come to fulfill his own agenda, but he came to serve others. And this is the kind of love, mindset, and purpose that will unite us. Choosing humility, choosing selfless service, choosing the Father's agenda, not our own. Scripture gives us the Father's agenda. Scripture is not ours to manipulate and to, to, to fit into our life. Um, the verse we're going to get to 
later on, several weeks from now, things like, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. That, that's not your go win a championship football game verse. It's not you can you know, jump off a building and survive verse. There's a meaning to that. We, we don't write ourselves into Scripture. We don't manipulate it to fit our agenda. It is the Father's agenda. It's His revelation of Jesus to us so that we can honor and glorify Him and live for Him. And so it's the Father's agenda. And we also have to be about the good news because that's what we just read. That is the good news. Jesus did not cling to His equality with God, but He was born of a virgin. He lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. And he died a criminal's death on the cross, and that criminal was you. He died your death. He paid your payment for you so that you could have life. Why? So you can fight for your own rights? So that you can think your own way? So that you can live according to your own agenda? So you can, you can pursue greatness for yourself? No, so you can humble yourself just like he did. And you can become a servant to your fellow brothers and sisters, benefiting them, serving them for the glory of the Father. And so I wonder, can this be said of you? Can it be said of you that you're serving your faith family in the church, in our community? Are you focused on the Father's agenda or your own? Is it all about your purpose for the church, your reasoning for belonging to this family? Jesus chose humility to the point of a very gruesome death. And that is the attitude, that is the approach we are to take. Are you willing to humble yourself in that way to benefit others? Jesus, the Bible tells us, because he chose humility, because he did that, he was exalted by God. That at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Not so that I can even adopt his ways and at Nick's name, Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Nope. Not that your name will be elevated. See, we don't choose that path so that we can somehow manipulate God in his ways and use him as a genie in a bottle to get our three wishes of how great we can be in life. No, there's already one great. There's already one worth worshiping and praising. And it's because he gave you life and salvation through his death and his resurrection. And so therefore he demands everything and he is worthy of everything that we can give to him. And so my encouragement to you before we pray is not to do anything out of motivation for self or being promoted because then that means self is still your idol. That is still what you're worshiping. That's still what you're trying to elevate. But choose humility. Choose to elevate others Choose to elevate Christ, and God will bless you. He will elevate you when he deems it appropriate, if he deems it appropriate. But choose to lower yourself, to humble yourself. This wasn't a part of my message, but because I spent a moment um, on it, I will just say this. Um, we are called to serve. And if that's not what you're doing, if you're not involved, you can write this down. You can go, uh, you can, you can go right now on your uh, phone, but maybe this is a next step for you. Newpassionchurch.com forward slash serve. And there you can sign up. You can register. You can say, you know what? I'm going to give my life to the benefit of others. 
But it's not just about serving in the church. This is one avenue and this is one way. We're also called to be very aware of the community in which we live, the world in which we live, so that we can share Christ and we can live out the gospel among our neighbors who do not know Jesus and need to know him. That, That we have to open our mouth and share the gospel, the good news. And so it's not just saying, okay, I'm, I'm going I'm to sign up for a team and I'm going to serve here and then I'm good. No, it's a life of living out the gospel. It's a life of servanthood. It's a life of worship. And so if you're not doing that, if you're not serving in that way, that maybe is a, a first step. If you want to find out more about those teams, exploring new passion, we're going to share all about that today. But beyond that, I don't want it to just be a religious, oh, I took a step and I'm going to do this now. No, I want your heart to be right. So today, more than just signing up to join a team and more than just saying, okay, I'm going to check a box and I'm going to fulfill something, I want you to take a moment as I pray and have a conversation with God because if the heart's not right, if it's not changed, then you're just going through the motions because Nick said so, because you don't want to feel guilty, because you want God to be okay with you. No, in this moment, maybe it's an opportunity to say, God, I've not been humbling myself. I've been placing myself on a pedestal. I've been pursuing my own comforts or conveniences. I've been, I've been pursuing self. And so maybe, maybe in this moment you need to repent and ask him to change your heart, to create in you a clean heart, a heart that so desires not only to glorify him, but to serve your fellow man. Because out of that overflow then it'll come natural. Then you, you just can't help it. You, you want to love your neighbor. You want to love your brothers and sisters. You want to serve them. You want to be united together for the purposes of God. So in this moment, as I pray, I encourage you to pray. And after that prayer, if you want to take a next step, if you want to join a team, go for it. But today, make sure the heart is right above all else. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word We thank you for the challenge that challenges all of us because there's going to come a day that every one of us in some moment is going to choose to be ambitious for ourselves, to be conceited, to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And so I thank you for the truth of your word and I thank you that we have the Holy Spirit to convict us and redirect us that it's not about selfishness and it's not about um, self-ambition, but it's about lowering ourselves in humility and serving and elevating others, and considering them as being more important than ourselves, preferring them, preferring the body of Christ, lowering ourselves. And so I thank you for the truth of your word today. I thank you that it does challenge us, and maybe it stings a little bit for us. God, I pray that that stinging won't be condemnation in the hearts of those who are here, but it will be a challenge, it will be a catalyst for us to repent where we've failed and where we've gotten it wrong and where we've taken our eyes off of Christ. And in this moment, in that repentance, we will turn our eyes back to Christ. We will adopt his attitude, his mindset, his purpose, his love, that our lives will be built on the gospel and that we would lower ourselves and serve our fellow man. We would lower ourselves and love one another as Christ has loved the church that we would recalibrate our thinking according to Christ's thinking, and that our purpose would be one heartbeat with the purpose of Christ and Him alone, because He is worthy of all praise. 
And today, as I close out, I want to give honor and glory to the name of Jesus, his name that is above every name. We honor, we glorify, we praise him today because it is him and him alone and his sacrifice that allows us to even have this conversation, to even be a part of this family. So we give honor and glory to Christ this morning. It is in his name I pray. Amen.